Good morning, everyone. When I came in this morning, some wag said to me, Evan, are you preaching for the vacancy? I said, do you mean when I preach, the place becomes vacant? But it's good to be with you here. Hadn't far to come. Let's open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word, the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came down into this world that we might be redeemed. Came to seek and to save that which was lost. We praise you for him. We now would open your word, the word that you have given to us that would direct our ways, that would help us to discover you, that would teach us not only about you, but about ourselves. You've never lied about us, Lord. Your truth has never lied. And we want to thank you that we can come to it with confidence because you want to speak to us through it. So do what you want to do this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 22. It's right there at the beginning of the Bible. It shouldn't be hard to look it up in your, in your book or in your phone or whatever. So Genesis chapter 22. A very important piece in Scripture. Genesis chapter 22, commencing to read at verse 1. After these things, I'll talk about that a little bit later. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I, will, I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar, uh, from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, uh, both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the alt altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called the, the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. If any of you have children or grandchildren, they're maybe going to be preparing later on this year to do very important exams as far as they will be concerned. It will affect the future, maybe the whole of their lives in some ways, depending on results and so on. But it is going to be a test that is very, very important. And just like in school, before a test, certainly when I was younger, all those years ago, we usually set mock tests just to try and find out how we're doing. To give us a wee bit of experience at sitting down at an exam paper and trying to work out what the answer ought to be. Now, if you hadn't it written up the sleeve of your shirt or whatever it happened to be, it may be a little bit more difficult, but there were mock tests just to see how well we had been doing. Now, that would be, those things would prepare us for the big test that was yet to come. And before this test that the Lord sets Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, the Lord had set him a number of tests before him. Uh, before that, he had set him the test about whether or not he would leave Ur of the Chaldees. He set him a test about whether or not he would go with his uh, nephew Lot down to, uh, down to Sodom. And there were other tests that came along. Abraham was given a, a land, a seed, that he would become the father of a great nation. God met this both literally and spiritually. And the seed through his son Isaac would become the savior of the world. And Gentiles like you and I would also be blessed by what God was going to do through this man. But doing the tests previously are going to be very, very important indeed. Give me, let me give you a little bit of context before we get into uh, Genesis chapter 22. In chapter 15, verse 12, God said to Abraham, Fear not, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. You can feel the hurt and the pain in this man. He's now 99 years of age, and his wife, Sarah, has not been able to bear children for him. Lord, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? But as well as the hurt and pain he's expressing, there's also another thing that must have been going on, his, on in his mind. Lord, you promised that through me, I would have a son. And from that son, eventually, generations later, the nations will be blessed. 
That is the problem I'm going to be facing, Lord, if there's a test that's going to come along. How will you do what you've promised to do if I have to sacrifice my son Isaac? How will you do it? How will you manage it? When Sarah, his wife, heard about what God had promised Abraham, she laughed. She giggled. The whole idea of her, an 89-year-old woman, having the child. What's this? Are you sure she said that, Abraham? She joked. But God came back to her in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. Here's what God says to, to Sarah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. God specializes in doing the impossible. Have you discovered that in your own life at times? Going through your little tests that you couldn't see any way out? But God gives an answer totally unexpected in ways that you could never have thought of. You might be have thought of ways that God could do it for you, but hey, God brought you out through those struggles a different way entirely. Maybe he just reminds you of what he said in his word. You receive a promise, and that promise is as if it was just for you. If no one else in the whole wide world is going to be affected by that promise at that moment, you are convinced, that's one for me. Lord, you spoke to me through that. You see, God specializes in the things thought impossible. And in chapter 21, verse 1, the impossible becomes the inevitable. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said and did to Sarah as he had promised. And Abraham and Sarah had this little child whom they called Isaac, meaning laughter, because of the joy that had been brought into their lives. Now we're going to look at Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. In the first eight verses, I want to focus on this. God tests faith. When the going gets tough, that's the focus of the first eight verses. When the going gets tough, what does verse 1 say? And after these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love. Take him, your only son, unique, irreplaceable. Take that one, the one that you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What? Does that sounds strange to you? That God's wanting him to take this son that God has provided and wants him to sacrifice him on that altar as a burnt offering? Now, what are burnt offerings about? <clears throat> well, when Noah in Genesis chapter 8, when he came out of the ark, as a way of expression, his thankfulness, 
he made burnt offerings from the animals and some of the birds. That was the first thing uh, Noah did. He built an altar. And that burnt offering was a voluntary offering. It was also an offering that pleased the Lord. And it was an offering that resulted in future blessing. That's what uh, Abraham was being called to do. On his son, his only son, the one whom he loved. That's the first time the word love is used in Scripture, by the way. And this is important. This is the, uh, uh, we read in chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, And he, that is God, brought, brought him Abraham outside and said, Abraham, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. That's the secret. He believed what God had said. When we read the scriptures, when we're going through the tests and the trial, to believe that, do we believe that God is there with us, that He'll never leave us nor forsake us? No matter what we go through, God will not abandon us, even though at times we might sense, God, are you listening? God, do you really care about what's going on in my situation? I'm tired of coming to church and sitting in a pew and pretending that everything's all right. The people don't know what's going on within me. They seem all right as if they're only me. These are the sort of tests. God speaks to the 99-year-old Abram and says, No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Abram, Abram means father, but he was childless. Abraham means father of nations or father of multitudes. So putting these verses together, we see that the childless Abraham would become, would father a son who would lead to numerous descendants, one of whom would be a blessing to the nations, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. And now Abraham was asking God, or, uh, was being asked by God to sacrifice that one. How would God keep his promise? Let's recap briefly on who Isaac was. Isaac was Abraham's son, his only son, the son whom he loved, the son of promise, but he was also the son of a miraculous birth. And it's amazing at times through scriptures, both Old Testament scriptures and of course in the New Testament, that God's answer to a needy world is the birth of a baby. Now, the test seems to be that God, on the surface, the test seems to be that God is wanting to discover what's in Abraham's heart. What's in his heart? But that can't be right, can it? Who can teach the one who knows all things, the group we're singing earlier on? God is omniscient. He knows everything. So was it really that God's trying to test what's, what's in Abraham's heart? Or is it possibly that God is wanting Abraham to discover what's in his own heart? And it's often when God is calling us to be something or to do something for him, and we long to be that or do that, God will often give us a test first of all. 
Can I trust you? It's not that you can't trust me, but can I trust you if you take on this responsibility and this role? Can I trust you? The test will come. When God calls, allows a test to come into into our lives, remember that he loves us. Remember that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Even when we don't see immediate answers to our prayers and no solutions to the predicament that we, that we may be facing. Get to know him better in the midst of your struggles. Get to know him better in those trials. Get into his word. Allow him to speak to you. Allow him to speak to you. Are you ever going to discover the answers if you're not going to allow him to tell you what the answers are? That's what we have to face up with. We, we could, you can imagine the protests that Abraham must have felt. Lord, why not uh, take my life instead of my son's? Lord, did, no, did not tell no that, that, by, that, that man was not to be shed, the blood of man. Uh, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And what about your promise about what you're going to do through my son? And what about these Philistines with whom I'm living in? What will they say? Some of these pagans sacrifice their, their children to, to idols. They're going to say, God, that, that you're no different. Think of your reputation, God. Come on, Lord, I'm saying these words. I don't know why they're coming out of my mouth. But, Lord, I can't reconcile what you've promised to do in my life with what you've asked me to do in these moments, to sacrifice my son. Now, we don't know what went on in Abraham's life, what thought process was going on, but the scripture is silent. We might speculate, but we need to be careful when we speculate. Verse 3 tells us that there's, so, uh, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place uh, of which God had told him. There's no resistance. There's no arguments with God over what God's wanting him to do. He's... It's immediate obedience almost the very next morning. He's got everything ready. He's heading off to Moriah. He's heading off to that mountainous region in which Jerusalem is built. And of course, Jerusalem is the very temple of God itself. But he's doing that. He's moving in obedience to what God tells him to do, no matter what the cost. Do we put a price on obedience in our own lives? Abraham's willing to do this no matter what the cost. Someone has said, when trials come, what remains is what is genuine. When the trials come, what remains is what is genuine. Then, verse 5, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and the boy will go over there and worship. Again, that's the first use of the word worship in Scripture. Now, why leave the two men with the donkey? Do donkeys need two men to look after them? Most of them stand still for, for a good part of the day when you're looking at them. 
Or is Abraham thinking? If these two, two men see what I'm going to do with my son, they're going to try and stop me from going to perform this act of worship and sacrificing my son. The two men are left behind. Abram and Isaac move forward with all that's required for the sacrifice. I don't know about you, but there's times when I want to worship, to get along with God. But I have not people that will struggle with me when I try to do it, or if I try to do it, but distracting thoughts. Sometimes the distracting thoughts win the struggle. Sometimes worship wins the struggle. Do you not find that yourself at times? So many invaders come along, thoughts, things to do. What about this? What about that? <coughs> or uh, leave it aside for a wee day, day or two. It'll not make much difference anyway. <clears throat> then comes an amazing phrase at the end of, the, of uh, verse 5. It tells the man that he and Isaac will come again to you. Isaac and the boy... He calls the boy will come to you. Hebrews 11 verse 19 states, He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead, for which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. That tells us two things. Number one, that Abraham believed that what God promised regarding his son, God will fulfill no matter how difficult the promise might be, as far as humans might look on it, he said, I'm taking God at his word. If God says he'll do it, my ex personal experience of him thus far is that he will do it. He told me that I would have a son in the first place. I never thought it was possible, but I got a son. And if God's wanted me to sacrifice his son, I'm going to do it. And Hebrews is telling us that, that when, even if he had gone through with that sacrifice, he, Abraham believed that God would raise him again from the dead. In other words, resurrection. He had resurrection faith that God would look at something that's seemingly impossible and do what no one else could do but God. That God would be able to raise him up again from the dead. Now, there's absolutely no evidence of anyone being resurrected before Abraham came onto the scene of time. But God had seen his wife's dead womb receive life and be able to produce the son. Because Isaac was a son, not only a son of promise, but he was a son of miraculous birth. Abraham must have believed that God is able to do whatever God says he's able to do. And as they move forward, Abraham and Isaac, <coughs> Abraham doesn't ask any questions that we're aware of. But Isaac does. This is what he says. This is what he says. He 
said, this is verse, uh, verse 7, just the end of verse 7. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt, for a burnt offering? Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Are you prepared to keep going and moving on? Even when you're baffled by where the answer is going to come from and how this event is going to take place, do we still trust God and go ahead with it? Chuck Swindoll wrote, Believe me, there are times when the only thing that keeps me going is a promise from the Lord. But God rewards faith. You see, when the tough... When the, when the, when tough, sorry, when the going gets tough, the taught get going. When the going gets tough, the taught get going. Abraham had been taught what God promises, God does. Sarah had been taught. What God promises, God does. Isaac had learned from them and had personal experience. When God promises something, it happens. When God promised me, I happened. And it seems strange, but between verses 8 and 9, <coughs> there seems to have been some conversation that goes on. Where is the burnt offering? It seems to me there must have been some cooperation from Isaac. This is, folks say, about 18 to 20, maybe 25. I've even heard 30 years mentioned <clears throat> after the birth of Isaac. That means that Abraham is at least 120 years old. And of Isaac was 20 years of age. That's, he has to, somewhere along the line, be brought in on the deal to allow himself to be bound and placed on an altar. Why would Isaac do something willingly like that? Let's consider his parents for a moment. His dad had shown an unmistakable faith in God and his word. Trusting God and seeing God perform what he had said he would do. Hebrews 11 verse 11 says his mom Sarah received power to conceive and even when she had passed the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. They had learned to be trustworthy. And at home, Isaac had the example of parents who trusted God and trusted God's word. And something of that seems to have rubbed off on Isaac. If they can do it and God was faithful to them, then I can do it and God will be faithful to me. Do we display faith when we go through struggles? Do 
we see their, our kids are growing up, our teenagers or other members of our family circle, do they see us living a life of faith before them? Or do they see us wanting to go our own way rather than God's way with our own solutions that never really work? Then verses 9, 9 to 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Can you imagine this? But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, as he said at the beginning of the passage, every time God speaks to him, he said, he says, here I am. Every time God speaks, he says, here I am. And what we need to hear at times is God speaking into our situation. At the very moment we need to hear his voice, God speaks. The very moment Abraham need, needed to hear God's voice, God spoke. <coughs> When you ever see any on television, you maybe see earthquakes have happened and buildings have collapsed. Now, you might think of all of the things that people are going to need to, to get any survivors out. You might be thinking of diggers and stuff like that, cranes to lift rubble away and all the rest. But the most important thing of all are devices that will enable people to hear the sound of survivors. The vices that are so sensitive that they can pick up a heartbeat. Sometimes when life seems to be collapsing all around us, we need the rubble to be cleared, but hey, we need ears that are sensitive that all of the distractions of diggers and excavators and everything else, sometimes the rescuer says, quiet everybody, shh, knock all the machines off. And they listen to hear, can they hear any sign of life whatsoever? Can they even hear a heartbeat? In the midst of all of the things that are going on around our lives, are we willing to listen? God listens to us. Do we listen to him? Do we take time to listen? Do we spend time each day with him? Not just speaking to him in prayer, but listening to him through his word. This is God's love letter to us. He loves us. What do you do with love letters? They're not like the gospel, are they? They're not like something you can throw to the side. Uh, when you get a love letter with your, your court and days or whatever it happens to be, you read it time and time again. You read between the lines. You're trying to find, have I missed something? You read it time and time again. And sometimes it helps even to imagine that you're talking to the person. He wants to talk to us through his words. Give him time to do that. Listen to what he says. He loves you. Take time. Realize that he's with you there as you read it about his word. And Abraham <coughs> replied, here I am. And verses 13 and 14. 
13 and 14, here's what it says. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram. Let's look at the process. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Abraham's got the knife about to slaughter his son, but he lifted up his eyes and looked. In other words, what it's saying is he got his eyes of what he thought he was having to give up. The thing that was most dear to him. He got his eyes of what he thought he was sacrificing and losing out on and looked up and saw what God was providing. <coughs> there was a ram caught in the thicket. And sometimes again in the midst of our struggles and trials and so on, we need to get our eyes off those things that we're going through. You know why? God's got plenty of rams caught in the thicket. God will provide what we need if we'll hold on to him, if we'll trust him, no matter what you're going through, whatever what I might go through. We get, need to get our eyes off we, of our wee struggles and our wee pity parties and get them off those and onto the Lord. God's got plenty of rams caught in the thicket. And listen, the last part is really the promise of God. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless, surely bless you. And I will multi surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall, offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Our obedience can lead to blessing of others. We need to see that God fulfills his word, that he is trustworthy. And just in closing, will you give me just a few wee minutes? Alongside the story of Abraham, which is very important that we give some detail to it because we're not robots. God works in us and works through us. And God is continuously at work in our lives to make us uh, what we prayed for right at the beginning when we give our lives to Christ, that, that we become more like Jesus. We need to see the human side of these things too, but God loves us. And God wants us to be drawn into a relationship with, it, with, with himself. Now, Genesis chapter 22, in these couple of minutes that I have left. Genesis chapter 22. It's not just about Abraham. It's not just about Isaac. Though those things are very, very important. But it's about another father. And he had another son. He was his son, his only son, the one that he loved. He was the son of promise who would bring blessing to the nations. And he was the son of a miraculous birth. He was God answers, he is God's answer for our needs. 
the difference in the story and what the gospel story is all about is simply this too. Abraham's son was spared. God's son was not. God's son went to that cross of Calvary to redeem a lost and sinful world to himself. And the promises that we turn from our sin and repent of our sin and invite him to come into our lives to become our Lord, to become our friend and to become our Savior. Jesus says, I will come in. Not I might come in and I might not, but I will come in. Behold, if you hear his voice, open up the door. Invite him into your life to be your Lord and Savior. Now at this time, you might be thinking all of the things that you might be giving up, all of the things that you might lose, you're thinking, what if my friends say this or my friends say that or whatever it happens to be? Nothing. God has provided the Lamb, His Lamb, the Son of God, who taketh away the sins of the world. And if you do not know the Lord, you are the one who is losing because your eyes are looking to the wrong place and to the wrong things. You need to get your eyes onto the Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was God's provision for your greatest need. And if He can meet you at the point of your greatest need, He can meet you at every other need you have. He died in our place then rose again on the third day. He's a living Savior. And He comes not just to give us uh, a forgiveness of our sins, as is so important, but He comes to give us life in all its fullness, abundant life, not only for this life, but for the world that lies ahead and glory with Him. You'd be a fool to keep saying no You'd be a fool to realize, don't, hey, don't carelessly drift into a lost eternity. Time is short. No matter how long you live, time is short. Eternity is long. Don't let it go. Put your trust in the Savior who can give you life and all its fullness. Come today. Then you can know the peace of God, the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of eternal life, the presence of God's Holy Spirit to be with you each day, the promises of God to comfort and strengthen you, the assurance of eternity with Christ in heaven. You can receive all of these today, right now, either in the church or if you're watching at home and don't know Christ as your Lord, you can know these things today if you have invited him to come in. Will you do that? Will you just say, Lord Jesus, I have resisted you in the past, but all my resistance is down. Come into my life. Forgive me my sins. Become my Lord. Become my friend. Become my Savior. And come in to stay, Lord Jesus. Amen.